Joined by a lovely guest from Harvard, Massachusetts, uh, we have Jesse Foglia, who is Actually, the assistant. Katie, just to be clear, Harvard, Massachusetts is a very different place than Harvard University. Regardless, you're still from Harvard. Yeah, yeah. The university, not the part of Massachusetts. And I think also partially because maybe I was like slightly talented at it originally, or I was like one of the better people. Um, in the Learn to Row group, which I know like is not a particularly high standard when you're talking about Learn to Row. Like, and, you... and, and to be fair, that may be like the highest crowning achievement of my rowing career at any point was being the best kid at Learn to Row initially. I, I, I only brought it up uh, because that probably was like the biggest change of, of mine I've ever made in my life. And, um, and it's one that has really informed coaching and what, what we try to do and create for our athletes. Um, which is an environment where you can say, hey, like this, this, this wasn't the right thing. All right, here we are coming at you with episode six from the Corona crew. Um, we've got four OGs. Again, we got Daniela Susnar in the background, our uh, expert video content creator. Um, we have Ryan Sparks, uh, head of Sparks. We have Nick Lee Parker, again, coming from his bubble in Chelsea, New York. I'm Katie Lane, coming from you, or coming, from, coming to you from West Hartford, Connecticut. And we are joined by a lovely guest from Harvard, Massachusetts. Uh, we have Jesse Boglia, who is Actually, the assistant. Katie, just to be clear, Harvard, Massachusetts is a very different place than Harvard University. Regardless. You're still from Harvard. Yeah, yeah. The university, not the part of Massachusetts. True. Where's the part of Massachusetts? Uh, it's like an hour and a half west. Hmm. Probably the same. It's kind of the same. Yeah, yeah. Basically the so same. They probably still say it the same, right? Yeah. Maybe. Um, but we brought Jesse on, and today we're going to be talking about uh, you know, coaching at the Ivy League level um, and certainly experiences that come along through there. As we mentioned last week, um, the direction that we're going to go with in this podcast is to help others learn uh, about the sport of rowing through our own experiences. So last week, you heard a lot from the three of us, Ryan, Nick, and I, about our experiences. And so the way that we're going to kick off is for Jesse to kind of talk about his experience of how he got into rowing, um, you know, how it's really influenced his life a little bit coming up to this point, but then we're going to dive deeper into some nitty gritty um, questions about, you know, how we've, how we experience um, expectations versus perceptions. But with that being said, Jesse, what's your experience in the sport of rowing? How did you get to be where you are today? Um, well, we only have an hour, right? <laughs> <laughs> So, <laughs> you're on the clock for uh we'll go seven minutes <laughs> yeah no i um so i'm originally from um pittsburgh pennsylvania home of six-time super bowl champion pittsburgh steelers and um i think growing up there uh you know it's also known as the three river city um and basically like the rivers were a big part of sort of you would drive across a bunch of bridges and what have you. And one summer, my mom brought me down to a learn to row program at Three Rivers Rowing. Uh, and I don't know, I, th I think I kind of enjoyed the sport 
partially because I liked being outside. And I think also partially because maybe I was like slightly talented at it originally, or I was like one of the better people um, in the learn to row group, which I know like is not a particularly high standard when you're talking about learn to row. Like, Did and, you and, and to be fair, that may be like the highest crowning achievement of my rowing career at any point was being the best kid at learn to row initially. Did you, um, you feather first? Is that, was that, was that your? Yeah, yeah. I feathered wow. first. Um, and uh, I could run a mile, you know, in under, I think, like 10 minutes or something. That was like one of the. Crushing it. Yeah, yeah. Just pure athleticism. I mean, at, at some point, we can pull out all the old athletics pictures. There's some real gems in there. Um, but I rode through high school at Fox Chapel High School, and uh, I, I knew that I wanted to go into teaching and basically started at Duquesne University, which is also in Pittsburgh. And um, from there, while I was in, as, a, as an undergrad, my former high school program had reached out and asked me to come back and sort of help um, to facilitate uh, novice rowing for them. And so uh, I, I sort of figured initially that it would be a super great way to build my teaching resume. Um, and I mean, I think basically that was in 2005 and here we are now, you know? So that's that's the seven minute version, um, but I mean I. For the record, that was two minutes. So you can't you can take more time to like you know acknowledge the fifteen years that happened in between two thousand five yeah. to now. Um, yeah. So so I coached I coached the high school team at Fox Chapel High School, um, the the novice boys and the varsity boys, um, and and I can tell you right now that I knew it all, and I was probably the best high school coach in the country at that point in time. Um, <laughs> <laughs> even considering that we never won anything of note. Um, but basically from there, I uh, actually took a, a one season hiatus from coaching, which is the longest stretch that I didn't coach rowing from 2005 until right now, which is kind of an interesting thing to, to think about, which was four months. Um, and I went on a vision quest and drove from Pittsburgh to Maine, Maine to Washington, Washington to Cal like Southern California and back with like a bunch of stops in between. And when I came back, uh, I worked part-time as a uh, kindergarten teacher for half day kindergarten. And then I would coach middle school and um, novice rowing at Three Rivers Rowing. Um, and I, so I was in charge of, I think it was like 55 or 60 seventh and eighth graders boys and girls um, all by myself. And that was probably the hardest coaching job I've ever had, um, trying to sort of like wrangle all of that. And then from there, um, basically, I actually ended up at Bates because I didn't get another job that I wanted, um, which was to progress my coaching career. But I don't know, I, I think we can all relate to the idea of like not getting something you want, right? And I think it's sort of how you move on from that. So then I, I moved up to, to Maine and worked for Peter Steenstra at Bates College for two years. And um, at the end of the second year was the same time that there was a lot of movement at Columbia. Nick was moving on to be the, the lightweight coach. And him and I had gotten to know each other through coaching for the junior national team, which started in 2009, I think, or 2008. Um, and he was, I think, you know, we recognized we brought different things to the table and, and 
wanted to bring me on as someone to endeavor in that pursuit. And so I was there with him for three years. Um, and uh, we were lucky enough at the end of that to come to sort of like the perfect close to the fairy tale of winning the IRA for the first time in Columbia Lightweight Rowing history. And I think at that time, like I, Nick and I had worked together for long enough that like we had established a really good relationship. And I'm not saying I was like ready to leave by any stretch, but I was certainly in a position where I was looking for like the next opportunity or like the next place to be able to progress and be able to develop skills. And, and that was also time. I mean, as, as of many things, right? Like it's all about timing, but there was a lot of movement at Harvard um, and uh, ended up having a chance to, to come here and be Charlie's assistant. And it's been sort of another chapter in, in the coaching saga, one that's very different and in some ways, very much the same as as all of it right like ryan said earlier we're just teaching kids to put the blade in the water and take the blade out so I mean, that's pretty much what i do um so yeah i would say that that's like a synopsis version i guess the things i kind of left out is um i coached the junior national team for a bunch of years and like worked my way from being like part of their development system up to taking some boats to the world championships and um so pretty much I've been coaching year round. I mean, it would go, you know, championship season to junior national team stuff to the fall. So it's been, been a lot of rowing. I don't know. I, I'm, I'm finding it hard to like find ways to entertain myself. A lot of time to be stuck in my own head. So when I'm, when Ryan was saying that it's easier not to be a coach, I totally disagree or yeah. For the reference, for those listening, we were talking on, right before we started this on two of us are no longer coaching and two of us are the ones who are being or hydrating right now. So it was good, good job, coaches. Um, on whether it's easier now, given the current situation, to be in coaching or out of coaching, which one's easier? And I think we all would disagree and let, like, Nick, what are you weighing in on? Like, easier or harder to be a coach right now? Um, I think it depends on the kind of coach you are. If you're a coach who's really invested in the, in your students and their individual lives and welfare and like, like the development of them as people, I think it's a really hard time to be a coach. I think that's the hardest thing I think, but if you're a coach and then there are successful coaches like this who kind of run programs and they just create a place where people go and work out and it's not as about the individual, but it's just more about. I'm here like giving you some feedback and, and that, then I think, you know, um, I think that's, it's probably an easier time to be a coach. What do you feel though? Oh, this is harder. This is brutal. <laughs> I'm, I'm not doing, I'm not doing well. well we, we don't have, we don't have the thing that we do. Right. Like, yeah. You, you know, like there's no version of virtual coaching that is the same as the right. in-person team experience. Right. Not even close. I'd agree so you guys that. can still work all the time. Like you still have jobs. You still like do a lot of the same stuff that you would do anyway. But this is the part of the year you look forward to the most as a co collegiate rowing coach. This is championship season. Would you guys agree with that? I mean, that, that's gotta be hard to lose, particularly if you've already gone to Florida, you've already put the work in, you've had your fall season, you've built everything out till now. And then dot, dot, dot. I, I don't know. I think it would be hard no matter what, because each season, each part of the year, like each 
each part, piece of it has its own piece of the puzzle, right? Like if you're missing the fall, you're missing the opportunity to do like some of the most fun coaching that you get to do, which is like, there's no stress and, you know, you get to do a lot of teaching and like do some of the, like, I don't know, we do like themed rows and like small boat racing and like kind of all this other stuff that you look forward to. If it's the winter time, like maybe the athletes would feel a little bit better about that, but like that's where you kind of build and mesh like the culture and like start to begin to think about it. So I think, yeah, of course, like the championship season is what it all builds up to, but the season is, is, is a circle. And if you remove any part of that circle, it completely collapses. So I, I can't say that one piece is more important than the other. The championship only happens because of the other things. I love the art. I love the analogy of the circle. It's cool. Circle of trust. Jesse, tell us, compare your break from rowing where you went on, you know, your journey across the country and the break that you're in now. I know they're very different, but what are some of the things that stick out to you most about those breaks from rowing, even though I know they happen under different circumstances? Well, I think the, one of the biggest is one was chosen and planned, right? Like I, I had, I had been coaching for, for five years at that point at the high school level. And like when I graduated, I felt like I needed to take a step back for like a, a number of different reasons. Like one, I wanted to just like, I, I, I hadn't, because I had been coaching through college, like my college experience was probably fairly different than a lot of people's because you're in, so involved in the team. And like, you know, every day I was leaving school at three o'clock and getting back at like 7.30 um and you know we saturday mornings were practice and you know weekends in the spring were racing so like there was all that going on so like that was very much of like a decision to be like you know what i need to like take a step back and i think part of it was like trying to figure out like what the path forward was going to be coming out of that um i think like right now it's like i know the path that i'm on like this is my career this is the only this is the only job i've ever had other than being a lifeguard when i was in high school um so like this was a very unplanned, like I think sabbaticals are great, right? Like we, we can all like, you know, teachers do that, professors do it, like there's nothing wrong with sabbatical, but in the process of doing that, it's sort of a planned, and I think that's the biggest thing right now is trying to figure out how to like morph or change it into something that's a bit more of like a, how is this like a recentering point for me? And I think I'm like getting closer to that, at least personally, but it still like comes and goes in waves a little bit um yeah so kind of going along in that where you know we you talked about changing um you know your immediate path uh question for the group you know name a time in your life when you feel like you've changed your mind like what was your motivation behind it what was the change and what did you ultimately learn from it i want to point the question back at katie so she's not just moderating, first of all, but second, because I think she has an interesting answer. You're talking about um, my more recent change? Who, yeah, I mean, well, someone who attended the Institute for Rowing Leadership, so you did a graduate degree in coaching. You know, yep. you, you were a club rower, which is very unusual to finish. You know, you beat out 30 people for the recruiting job at Penn. Um, and you got that job, and then you, you have recently left coaching. Uh, I mean... Is that a time when you've changed your mind and what was the motivation? Well, that's certainly a, <laughs> man, just going right in for it, Ryan. Um, so yes, that would be a time that I have changed my mind. Um, 
you know, my decision to step out of coaching wasn't necessarily driven by negative experiences that I had, but for me, my MO or my passion is really almost kind of program development or brand development and trying to help people communicate more effectively. So I got into sport because I think sport is a huge tool for character development. So when this opportunity was presented to me, it was like, well, I don't know. And I was very skeptical about it. And, um, you know, I'll let the cat out of the bag, but, um, I actually went back and forth with my current company, Rose Choice, for about three to four months. Um, and I kept like asking him of what else I could do because I knew that I didn't want to just be, you know, like a boat salesman. Like I, I certainly knew that I could do that, that I'd be good at that skill, but I needed something more fulfilling. Um, so when it came down to it, you know, it presented an opportunity that I could impact uh, the sport on a greater level. Certainly it was going to be hard. Um, and it certainly was different, but it still stuck to my values and, and that idea of the idea of helping people reach their maximum potential. So I can go into a program now and say, all right, how can I support you? Um, whether it's with equipment, uh, both new you know, repairs or refurbs, but then also expanding into more um, varied outlets like coaching education is something we're starting to talk about obviously we've got the virtual erg series so it's more right now it's almost feeling like more event-based um, so I think that idea of just continuing to work within the rowing community um, it still allowed me to build a connection with athletes and coaches alike um, but the ultimate reason was that yes it was a different path and something that I hadn't necessarily expected um, but it brought a new challenge. And for right now that, that just made, I don't want to say it made sense, but, um, I felt like it was an opportunity I wanted to kind of see out, but I will say that I don't know, uh, if this is going to be, if that was my farewell saga to coaching. Um, you know, certainly I think about that all the time. You know, if I stay in this profession, in this realm as director of business development and sales, um, for a couple of years and then go back to it. I could easily see myself doing that, but I don't know when that next timeline would be. So the motivation, motivation was certainly to continue off my values. For me, I wanted to get back up into New England. Um, in previous episodes, we've talked about being closer to nature and being closer to you know people and like a, the right environment. And I always saw myself coming back to New England. Um, so that was certainly that helped, something that helped. Um, but what I've learned from that change is, you know, there's nothing like being on the water. Um, and to go from that to being behind a computer, certainly I feel like I spend the same amount of time on the phone just as I would at Penn with recruiting, not even at Penn, but in uh, my role as a recruiter, uh, I feel like I spend just as much time on FaceTime with coaches or on the phone. Um, so that doesn't necessarily change, but uh, I learned that that feeling of, you know, thrown on a survival suit when it's pouring down rain, like how at times I, I really underestimated that of like, oh, this is going to be miserable. But now I find myself very, like very much missing it as I took my survival suit out of my car for the first time since I left Philadelphia yesterday. Um, <laughs> but I think that change is necessary. And for me, it was a change in career paths, but the environment was similar and that's what I wanted to maintain.
that's that change is necessary. That's a that's something that we should kind of embrace. That's a fairly interesting statement and and a mm -hmm. positive one. But Ryan, coming back to your point about the IRL, like coming out of college, that that's what I thought I I wanted to do. I wanted to go on this like new adventure. Like I was a club rower. I had no idea what it meant to coach at different places or be on the national team. Um, but what I knew was the impact that sport had on me and the potential it could have on others. And I wanted to open that door for others to have that same fulfilling experience in one way or another. Um, so yes, there's a degree and I feel like all of my degrees kind of relate back to each other and it's just creating the brand and creating the experience. So. No. Well, nice answer. I'm gonna popcorn uh, Nick. Name a time in your life that you've changed your mind. Um, I got divorced. Does that count? It walk us through it. Uh, <laughs> I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> put it out on the table. We got this question no. beforehand. Hey, uh, um, uh, Jesse was there for that, so. Um, <laughs> Uh, actually, I, I I only brought it up uh, because that probably was like the biggest change of, of mine I've ever made in my life, and um, and it's one that has really informed coaching and what what we try to do and create for our athletes, um, which is an environment where you can say, hey, like this 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 wasn't the right thing, and I could do, and um, I got to a point where I was like, oh, this isn't right, this isn't good for me, it's not helping me, and it's not helping. Uh, anyone else either and that was really hard it was, it was really hard but that was the right thing to, to do and I think a lot of times you kind of know that deep down inside mm -hmm. and it's just kind of accepting hey like this is going to be rough this is going to be really rough right. but and I alluded to this before like one of the great things about rowing is you you go through some really rough times like it's in racing and training and everything else and you keep getting through them. So those experiences kind of help me say, okay, this is going to be hard, but we're going to keep going. Mm -hmm. A lot of stumbles on the way. Of course. Of course. Your turn to popcorn somebody else. I don't know. I, 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 want, to, I want to hear Jesse. I think he's had some great experiences. Well, I mean, I think I feel like I changed my mind all the time. Like this morning I woke up, and I was going to have a cup of coffee, and then I decided that I didn't want to have a cup of coffee. Did you um, not have a cup of coffee this morning at all? No, no coffee this morning. Wow. Um, yeah. I, I don't that's know. I, I think like itself. that's that's it's admirable. You're able to do that. <laughs> I mean, I, I I don't know. I like look back at like rigging or equipment or training methodology or like technical stuff and i've like gone through cycles of all of those and i think it's much it's not so much you change your mind necessarily i think it's important to have like a lot of conviction about what you're doing i think it's about making sure that when you change your mind it's like not a willy-nilly type of scenario it's because you have more information or you're reading the scenario a little bit differently right like i don't know like one example that i can that comes to mind immediately is like i feel like for a long time, I really prescribed to the idea of doing like a really high volume, like fairly low intensity training model, right? Like that's something that we've kind of all learned about, right? Like you do 
tons and tons of miles at really, really low intensity and that sort of thing. And then I was having a conversation with, with Chris Korzenowski with Corzo and he was talking about how like in some places in the world, they've sort of moved completely away from that because they don't have the opportunity to train with their athletes twice a day and do that kind of stuff. And, um, you know, they, they use like a much higher intensity model um, because basically when you only have say 60 minutes in a day or an hour and a half, 90 minutes to like train, like if you look at the, the culmination of the time that you have, if you invest that more in hard work, then that's going to get you more payout or you're not getting the benefit. So that's something that's like, I don't know, like, again, looking at the different scenarios that I've been in and like the athletes that I worked with, like, I think for lightweights, like doing a lot more volume is helpful because also they have to be able to like manage their weight a little bit more effectively, like, right. So they need to be kind of doing a bit more exercise. If you're doing like a high school program, you know, or even for us, you know, there's times of the year where we can do more training and less training. So sort of being able to adjust and adapt to that. Um, you know, I've gone through periods where like, I was like, you know what, the best boat out there are Hudson's. Like I want to row Hudson's all the time you know, and then you go to Empockers and you're like, oh, well, these are better in some ways, but I, I don't know. I mean, I, I think it's like, I'm sorry, but we all change in our mind, like all the time. Mm -hmm. So it's a matter of like, why did you change your mind? To me, that's like the much more important part of the question, right? Like, why did you decide? I decided not to drink coffee this morning because I didn't sleep great last night and I know caffeine has a big effect on me. So that was like my thought process. So like, are you, you know, rationally or are you just like watching something go by and you're like oh that's flashy that's nice like i'm gonna jump on that train and then i'm gonna jump on the next train because you know in, in any sport and anything there's always like better fads or things that come along all right ryan bring us home so say that again bring us home so do you want me to summarize everything everyone has said and in, in kind of a no <laughs> Name a time in your life when you've changed your mind. So, I mean, what we were talking about before this, this podcast started was, you know, Katie and I have both decided that we, we've left coaching. Um, and that said, we've had a, a good amount of overlap prior to that with Jesse and Nick's experience. Um, though I would venture to say that Jesse and Nick have gone onwards in coaching where, you know, we left. Um, potentially more so for me than, than for Katie, but um, I would say that, I mean, it's interesting that change is good. I agree with that. Um, you know, there's a, so Jesse's got this picture for those of you listening of Newell behind him. Um, and, you know, there's a bench over his shoulder. Uh, when I was a sophomore in college, I went and sat on that bench and I looked at it, Newell, and I had like zero business being in Boston. I literally traveled to Boston to look at the rowing scene and I'd never been to anywhere that had a good rowing scene. Um, and I desperately wanted in to the more serious scene and I desperately wanted to go into Newell. And I actually did. And I met the, the Charlie Butt gave me a launch ride. Um, you know, some random guy, some random 20 year old. Um, and, uh, and that was great. And it made me want to coach and be part of a program on the Ivy League level very badly because I wanted to be part of a community of intelligent athletes who were highly driven. Um, that seemed to be an interesting mixture to me as opposed to kind of like 
to be honest, meatheads or whatever else. Like I wanted to be part of a, a highly intelligent driven community um, that was in rowing because the sport is beautiful. And so leaving the sport, you know, after having coached at Yale, having overlapped with, um, well, not overlapped, but Jesse and I uh, did similar jobs at Bates, um, was uh, a big decision for me that was more about following my heart. I never was into this type of stuff that Nick is into. I, I couldn't build a training program to save my life. I wasn't interested in the physiology. Um, you know, rigging was not something that I wanted to spend a whole lot of time on. Um, recruiting seemed to be the beginning of an interesting idea insofar as the athlete's relationship with the team and then how did they grow as a, re as a result of being in that environment. And I wanted more of that. I wanted more of kind of the athlete's experience in the environment and less of thinking about, you know, how to load a trailer and drive it from Maine to Florida. Um, and I, I sucked at trailer driving too. Um, so that's to say like, um, it, this direction that I struck out in, I will say like the politics of coaching are hard. Um, I'm glad not to have a boss. That was one of the other appealing things. I had no idea whether I would be successful with the company, like we're in 10 years now. So, you know, we're, we have managed to make it through a, a fairly longer period of time for a, a small business and, and um, the ability to focus on athletes and work with them on a personal level about insofar as what they're getting out of the sport and design environments that are encouraging to, to, to bring something out of the sport for kids to connect with, I found more fulfilling, but it has, it, you know, am I, am I sad to have left coaching and I'm, am I glad I, yes. And I'm glad I coached 110%. Like that was an incredible experience. And, and, you know, I would say, to be honest, coaching in the Ivy league is like coaching SEC football. I mean, there are coaching gigs in the big 10 that are, that are serious coaching gigs and coaching gigs in the PAC 12, but let's, let's just be honest and say like rowing, you know, the kind of the epitome of it, the icon of it in our, in our nation's imagination is in the Ivy league for better or for worse. And as a result, being a part of that tradition. Ryan, I disagree with that unequivocally. Really? I think rowing is like as grassroots as it comes. Like, have you, I mean, you've been to the Eastern Sprints. Like, it's nothing like any major college sporting event. It's like a bunch of people show up in a parking lot, right? Like, that have been going there for the same, like, 20 years. Like, anybody can come and go. You know, there's no grandstands, nowhere to sit. I mean, it's like upgraded in the last maybe three or four years where now they have like a jumbotron with video that like works 50% of the time and still looks like it's being done from, I mean, like, I, I agree that like maybe from, from the, the type of athletes that are attracted to maybe some of the top programs, like they're the best in that particular sport. But I, I don't think that there's anything, at least on the men's side, maybe outside of, you know, a, a bigger athletic department like maybe Cal or Washington or, but I mean, even so like rowing races are rowing races. Like they're, they're not major sporting events. There's like so, not. The for me, it was more like, I mean, if you go like it did, all sports are niche sports. Our, our sport is ridiculously niche because it's so small. Like, but what is emblematic of rowing in the United States, at least for, at least for the older generation. And, and let's be frank here, folks. Like, I mean, 
the budgets at, at Big Ten and Pac-12 schools are better than the Ivy League budgets these days. Like, and they have more money for their teams. They have, you know, more expensive boathouses. Uh, they have larger teams at times. So, like, the sport has shifted. But, you know, the old-timey vision of the sport, the idea of the sport, whatever you, I mean, whatever you want to call it, in people's heads, um, you know, that new, that new old boathouse is, was, has been around for a while. And the beauty of that is there's history there. there. You know, the number of people who have come through that boathouse who have loved rowing, like, I mean, we could say the same about Conibear. Um, we could say the same about a lot of other ones, but there's an intense concentration, you know, in, in, on the East Coast at Ivy League schools that was there for a long time. And then, you know, back in the day, if you read Boys in the Boat, or, you know, where, where there were teams in, on the West Coast. But basically, what I'm trying to say is having coaching in the Ivy League for me was, was like, it was cool. It was like, you know, if you're a baseball fan and you work for the Red Sox and you're not a Yankees fan, then, you know, it's kind of the same thing. So, Ryan, like, from what you just said, what kind of stuck out to me from your answer was, you know, you looked at Newell and you talk about this, like, putting the Ivy League up on a pedestal a little bit because, that, like, of how many people have come through here. It just sounds to me like that you were drawn to it or you have that belief because of, say, the historical aspect, right? Yeah. The tradition of rowing, where it came from. But do you think that that then skews your perception of the type of student that's there like do you like how would you view the student population at say the ivy league versus like a stanford right both top end schools in the country type of thing but what what to you is so different about the population of the ivy league if it's different than just honoring the traditions or the history well, i think i think there's a reality versus perception element and i think that's what jesse just called me out on like I was 20, you know, I was saying, thinking like, you know, I had a very different idea. I mean, the college counseling element of the company I run now is all about fit. Like, you know, it's not about looking at schools for brand um, because ultimately, you know, what you get out of your education is your own business. Um, and, and so, you know, you can get as good of an education at Georgia tech as you can get at any other school in the country. You can get a, I mean, and you could potentially get one online if, if that's what you need. What I'm trying to say is, is that I was, I, I was young and idealistic and, and, and thought a, a differently than I do today. Um, mm -hmm. You know, I would say like. You're saying you changed your mind. Yeah, I'm saying that. I'm saying oh! that. I, I, yeah, yeah, yeah. Thank you, Nick. Well, and, and, and Ryan, I don't disagree with that point at all. Like, I think the perception reality, I guess I'm sort of bringing it up. And I feel like that's sort of the context of what, what we're talking about, right? Is like all of us having experienced some of that to a certain level, it's like breaking down the barrier of, because I could have had the exact, I didn't have, you know, your situation of sitting on that bench at Newell, which I have sat on before, but like the, just th this idea that I think when I was 20 years old, if you would have told me that I was going to coach at Columbia and be like the lightweight assistant coach there, I would have been like, Oh, my career is made. Like it's over and done. Right. Like I, I would have like achieved the highest possible level that ever could have been and in so so i guess what i'm just or the point i'm trying to make more which is, which is exactly what happened i mean it's, all <laughs> <downhill>. <laughs> it's, it's basically been Be downhill totally since then it's been yeah. downhill since then um but but like breaking down that perception i i, I guess for like 
I don't know, I obviously talk to a lot of recruits and work with like the junior athletes and stuff. And I guess I'm always trying to get them to understand that there's like nothing different at any level about what makes people successful or programs mm -hmm. successful. Like it's, it's the basic things, right? Like you have to have some reasonably good athletes, but at the end of the day, it's like, do you, do you work hard? Are you committed to the things that like are, are, you know, the pinnacles of whatever the program is? Um, and do you work hard? Like if you work hard a lot and like commit yourself to those things, like you're going to be successful. And obviously there's some like athletic limit to that. But, but I, I guess to me having like, been very much an outsider of the Ivy League in a lot of ways, having like not attended one of the schools or had really like no experience there and then coming in, like I don't feel like our kids are not different from any other kids. I think that they work hard and I think they're like really committed to the sport of rowing and like they certainly have some natural athletic ability that they tap into. Um, but like what we do and what high school kids do or other junior programs or other college programs is not that dissimilar. Yeah, I would want to, you know, I just want to take this moment and point out, yeah, it's, this is kind of an unusual group in that um, no one here is an Ivy League grad. I was about to bring that up. And, and no one rode, so therefore no one rode in an Ivy League rowing program. And to be honest, the, the, the great majority of people at Ivy League who coach on the Ivy League kind of level are Ivy League grads. Not all of them, for for sure, but there's a huge there's a huge number, and so to the work to to be honest, like if you're a rower and you get an assistant job right when you graduate for the team that you went to school with, that's kind of an easier gig to kind of pull into versus having to make your way in uh, from the outside. And so, I just want to point that out. I mean, that's that to be honest, like that was an achievement. I knew that would be hard, and that's that's probably why part of the reason I valued it. Um, I also think that's shifting as well, though. Like, I think if you look around, like coaching in general, if, like even outside of the Ivy League, but I think you're seeing more and more qualified people getting hired for positions. Like, you need to have a resume that indicates not just that. Um, and and again, just like looking at you know Nick, who is you know a head coach at one of the most successful Ivy League institutions. You know, someone that didn't compete at that level. Um, you know, myself at one of the more competitive institutions. Like I think you're seeing more and more people that are just qualified coaches that are getting opportunities, which I think probably 15 or 20 years ago was probably not so much the mm -hmm. case. And I mean, that's like a whole nother conversation about how the sports evolved over that time. But I do think that that's one aspect that is evolving. To put you on the spot, let me ask you, do you think that's happening faster on the women's side or faster on the men's side? Or is um, it I think it's a little harder for me to say like unequivocally because I feel like I know the women's landscape a little less like intimately. And, and women's rowing is so much bigger, right? Like there's so many more coaching opportunities on the women's side at the collegiate level. Um, Do you think, let me ask you this, which is a hard question. Do you think coaching on the division one collegiate level on the men's side is different than on the women's side? And if so, how? Uh, I think the recruiting is way different. Ryan, you're opening like a, a whole other can of worms right now. <laughs> I mean, we could, we could go on about that for an entire episode. Yeah, I mean, like, I think yeah. the, the recruiting's different because you have a lot more scholarship schools. Um, you have a lot more scholarship schools that are like of similar elk as far as like reputation. Um, and then I think like 
you know, coaching men and women is different. And I think coaching men at different schools is different and coaching women at different schools is different. And I think that's what makes like really good coaches are the ones that, again, if we kind of go back to like the idea of changing your mind, it's, it's all about like being able to read the scenario. Maybe you had like this really clear idea. I mean, even just coming from Columbia to Harvard, right? Like the type of student, the environment there is certainly much different than here. And it doesn't mean that like our kids are better or those kids are better or anything like that. But like the way that I interact and treat with the, the athletes just based upon who they are and the, the school context definitely has an impact. So I think, you know, I think the recruiting side on the women's for the women's piece is probably more challenging, but I think from an athletic perspective, it's just a different like body of people that you're working with and you have to be able to adjust and adapt to that. I'm going to start this back to Nick. So, cause we're, we're starting to run out of time a little bit, but with Nick, when you came into coaching at the Ivy league level, you know, as you considered other jobs, you know, was the Ivy, what was more attractive about coming to the Ivy League? Like, did you have a perception that it was going to be so much different than, say, another school that you applied to or different experiences? You know, did you have any different perception or to you, was it just an opportunity to work with a, with just a, another team? Um, it, it was the only job offer I got. <laughs> and, uh, All out right. of like 15 <laughs> that I tried to get. And um, as I as I got there, I think my first reaction after a couple of days was, you know, um, same problems, different colored blades. And mm-hmm. like very quickly, I was just like, there's nothing different about this. We're trying to do the same thing, trying to get at it the same way. The guys are fun, just like they were. They're different. And um, but yeah, I, I don't think I really thought much about it other than, you know, I really liked making both go fast. And it was an opportunity to do that and have a little bit. Yeah, I had some different caliber athletes than I'd had previously. Um, But that was the fun part. That was like the challenge of it. It wasn't. But I don't think the school had much to to do with it. So the idea of being at the Ivy League didn't necessarily like come with. I don't know. You didn't have any other expectations besides that it was a job. You were you were excited to teach uh, continue to work work with the team I was just super excited to get a job right and be able to coach like I I, I kid you not that was it and uh, I, I think I, I developed some expectations as I went as I learned more about it so I think it was a I kind of my expectations about a, what it was like really developed as I went through coaching there and got to talk with more people and got to learn more about their history and different programs and what was valued and what they valued then. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was really where I think I got my impressions while I was there. I think when I got the job at Penn, kind of I think what, what Jesse was saying in that if you had told me, told me at 20 years old that I'd be coaching at the Ivy League level, I would have been like, you're absolutely out of your mind. Like I'm going, at that point, it was like a different direction in career and for me, just because the Ivy League was so different, like, and I hadn't been exposed to that, yeah, it had been put up on a pedestal a little bit, but getting there, and, and after working, you know, both in the club level, Division One, um, both men and women, getting to that point, it was just, as Nick, as you said, it, it was just a different group of people, right, you know, but I think the only thing that really stuck stuck out to me that was different, just based on the other schools that I had been working with, you know, the students there, we're just a different caliber student. I'm not going to say, you know, athlete. I think athletes are, you know, 
any anybody can be successful we had somebody that rode uh, or we had national team athletes at Fordham um, just as they, as we have national teams at Penn or national team athletes at Penn but the I think the expectation of academic success at the Ivy League is certainly a lot higher just again by nature and what it offers but from an athlete perspective and, and a job perspective um, I quickly found within you know a couple of days uh, that it just was another it was another group of people that you had the chance to work with it it wasn't that they were Ivy League athletes did well we're, we're winding down here but um, do, do you have any concluding questions or remarks that we should go around and, and um, I want to know what the biggest rowing specific thing is that Nick changed his mind on in the last, we'll narrow it down to the last five years. The big row, biggest rowing specific thing that I've changed my mind on. Yeah. Cause I obviously know uh, like things that you're pretty adamant about when we work together, but I'd be interested like, Jesse just wants to know if he changed your ring since you won the, the championship with him, is what he's saying. No, I, I, no, no change in the rig. Still 83 and a half centimeters. Still 374 on the length, 114 on the inboard. Nothing has changed. Yeah, that, that's what it is. Um, I, I think what I've changed most is I, I'm willing to give up more control. Um, and let the athletes have even more of a voice. And I think I have found that encouraging that is more positive than negative, although it comes with some risk. Jesse, did I answer your question? I mean, that was pretty, that was pretty soft, but I'll talk to you. <laughs> <laughs> I got to think about it. I, I will, I will here... think about it. The one well, guys, like, well, I, I bought I bought brand new boats that had never been rowed in the men's league before, and I love them. Like that was a big change, you know. And uh, yeah, I mean that took like some. That was a big change, but I'm actually super super happy with that decision. And I think in a few years, everyone else is going to be like, "Oh man," but um, I have to sign off. Hey, Jim. You guys finish up. We'll finish it up here. Great to see you. And uh, we'll talk to you guys soon next week. Okay. See you later, Nick. Bye. So from the rest of us here, as Nick signs off, um, you know, stay tuned next week. We'll have a, another guest cameo appearance. Uh, again, we're going to keep you in suspense on who that is, but we would just like to thank, we have all of us here at the Corona crew, Jesse. Uh, thank you for joining us today uh, from your prestigious institution, uh, Harvard in Boston. So is that uh, like your subtle way of saying I'm not invited back by saying that there's a new <laughs> guest next week? Like, <laughs> I mean, that's, no, that's, I mean, we have to obviously consult the group <laughs> on whether or not like you'd be admitted into our circle. Like, certainly this was fine. Um, this is a very pretentious and selective group of people. Does that sound right. familiar? We have yeah, to vote yeah. on it after. But note that there's uh, no. only four people voting. So um, if it's no, a tie, you know. <laughs> Thanks but, for having me. I really appreciate it. It was fun to, fun to catch up with everybody. Well, even while Nick's logged off, what's we've talked about changing our minds. And Ryan, we'll let Jesse uh, just answer this on his own, so we'll put him on the spot because he was the guest. 
what's one thing about you as a coach across the different programs that you've worked with, what's one thing that you feel like hasn't changed in the way that you coach or, or the thing that you value? Um, that I always bring a lot of like energy and enthusiasm to, to practice every day. And why is that important to you? Why is it important? Because like one, it's the best part of my day. And two, like who doesn't like somebody that's passionate about what, what they're teaching? Like our job is to be a teacher. Like if somebody's going to stand up in front of you and like lecture, or if someone's going to like get up in front of you and like, you know, be, be, uh, engaged in what they're doing. Like, I'm not saying it has to be like, you know, you're jumping around and pounding on things, but like enthusiasm can be, you know, portrayed in many different ways. So I, I think that's like, like my passion for teaching has been something that's like been consistent. And again, coaching middle school kids and coaching, you know, former or current Olympians here, like that's a slightly different thing. But I think I try to bring the exact same enthusiasm and, and, and excitement to the time and the opportunity I get to work with them. Very nice. So until next time, we are the Corona Crew signing off for episode six. Um, join us again next week. Stay safe out there. It seems you barely beat the sun.